This is Hockey Night Tonight, the weekly podcast on Trib Live Radio about the Penguins. Um, I am Matt Steiner, your host. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at msteiner90. And tonight I have a guest co-host. Um, he's, <laughs> Quasi-guest co-host, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's also on Trib Live Radio. Uh, he's a... Uh, a man of Pittsburgh media of many uh, varieties, ESPN Radio, WPXI, we have Mike Oste. Yeah, I am a man of many talents. You could say some are impressive, some are asinine, but they're diverse anyway. The Ayatollah of asinine? You could, you could say that. That is that is the moniker that actually originally was dubbed to me on Trib Live Radio in the previous incarnation, and I've used it on any outlet I've, I've been on when I can, sometimes like PXI, they don't really want me to go on and talk about high school football and call myself the Ayatollah of Asinine. But if I can bend the rules, I will, and luckily Triple I Radio appreciates it. Yeah, here, I mean, you could you could do whatever you want. Right, pretty much. Yeah, no holes barred, no FCC. So um, what we're going to cover here tonight, we have um, just 30 minutes, so we're going to try to do as quickly as possible. Um, but what we're going to do is cover um, three things that I thought were pretty much of the most significant importance of the Penguins this week. Number one, Sidney Crosby got his 1,000th point. Little significant. Little bit. L- little bit. I mean, so going into drafting him, I mean, just like any number one draft pick, we've seen a lot that have tailed off in time. We've got right. everything that he's been advertised as. I mean, Sidney Crosby was advertised as the next, you know, Wayne Gretzky, next Mario Lemieux. He hasn't hit those point totals yet, but in the current, in the dead puck era, what do you think about Sidney Crosby? Has he met the, the expectations that we thought, it, you know, that he would be or – in terms of meeting the hype, he was one of those guys from 15, 16 years old. You knew he was going to be number one overall pick. He had the hype machine. They were calling him the next Wayne Gretzky. And he delivered multiple Stanley Cups. He delivered every single individual accolade you could want. Olympic gold medals, world championships. He's triple gold, quadruple gold, 17 times par gold. He's all, he's done everything you literally could do in a hockey life. Now, whether we're going to rank him all time to be ahead of Mario or Wayne Gretzky I don't know. That's kind of hard because the eras are so different and it's difficult in all sports, but I think you hit it even, especially in hockey because Lemieux had some years, Eisenman had some years, Brett Hall, even Wayne Gretzky, where they were playing part of their careers, if not primes in the eighties in a wide open game. Goalie pads are smaller. The game is not officiated anywhere near as tight as it is now. It was eliciting goal scoring a five, six game or a seven, six game was a mundane Wednesday night, where now Sidney Crosby's games are usually 3-2, 2-1, 4-3. It's considered a, a a wild offensive outburst in an NHL game these days. He's had to deal with injuries. He had to deal with the era that he's playing in. You can make an argument for anyone who wants to be the, the stat nerd out there to get the analytic churning and say that a 1,000 points for Sidney Crosby in this era maybe is the equivalent of 1,400 in the 80s when Wayne Gretzky played. I don't know what that comparison would be. I will say, though, I think the arguments some are saying that they're going as far to say it's almost the equivalent of a Wayne Gretzky career or it's the same. I think that's a bit far because Wayne Gretzky, I don't think people realize how far ahead he is. Oh, he ran away. I mean, Yammer Yager getting 1,900 points, second all time. Somebody the other day at work said, well, I mean, how much longer could he play? Does he actually have a shot at Gretzky? I mean, the guy might play till 65 years old and still not touch Gretzky. No. Gretzky's almost 3,000 points. He almost has 3,000 points. A 100-point season was a bad year. The Pittsburgh fans would be upset if Wayne Gretzky in the 80s, if Crosby put 100 points together on that team. So it's a totally different game. 
Crosby's going to go down as an all-time great. He delivered you everything you want. And fortunately, we're having a different conversation this year than we were maybe we would be having a year ago today where some were criticizing him needing that second cup to legitimize those arguments. There's really nothing now. I had a I had a Philly fan, Stephen Fisher from PXI, when I was on Triple I Radio just a couple hours ago, and he said that even as a Flyer fan, I, I can't hate anymore. It, it's just now Crosby's... The, the best of the era. That's just it. The second puck was the or the second cup was the cement that, that right that cemented Sidney Crosby into the conversations for years and years to come, and not as a disappointment in any way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, his thousandth point was exactly what you'd want out of Sidney Crosby. He fought for a puck, tossed it to Chris Kunitz, who just you know shoved it to the opposite corner, and there it was. I mean, it wasn't uh, you know anything that you wouldn't expect from Sidney Crosby. He has a lot of assists in his career, and he did it in a way that I think. Uh, was a Sidney Crosby type of way. It was he's kind of he's probably one of the best grinders in the league. He's a number. He's a he's a top line guy, mm-hmm. but he's a grinder. And, and that game was a quintessential Sidney Crosby game too, because he gets the a thousand, a thousand point off of an assist where he's creating offense. He's not finishing it. He's creating the offense, which maybe is even arguably more important for guys who really know hockey. But at the end of the day, once that game got close, he put the team on his back and drilled in the game winner in overtime. In the middle there, there was another assist. He had a three-point night, two assists, and a goal, including the game winner in crunch time. That's what Sidney Crosby is. That's what the Penguins have had for a decade plus. They've had their guy that can carry them if they're faltering. They've had their guy that can make teammates better, like Lemieux used to do, that the comparison between maybe him and Ovechkin over the years, Alzen Ovechkin, despite Penguin fans hating him so much, is a prolific goal scorer, a future Hall of Famer. He's a legend in this game, and he's probably going to retire with more goals than Sidney Crosby will have. Maybe even 100 or 200 more goals. Maybe even more points. But it can be said that Sidney Crosby is better at making his teammates better. He's better at dealing with maybe a lesser wing. He he had Marion Hossa for a week and a half, basically. Otherwise, you're looking at a bunch of average wings that he's actually played with on his direct line. He elevates them, makes them better like Lemieux did. And he's a better all-around player. It sounds simple to say, but Crosby really does have every facet of the game. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he can be tough if he has to be. He's a magician with his stick. People talk about Datsuk of this era, but Crosby is just as good with the stick, as well as finishing it off and finding his teammates his vision might be what makes him so so great, might be his best attribute. There's nothing Sidney Crosby does not have. There's nothing that he has not accomplished. We could talk three hours on Sidney Crosby, and it'd be hard to complain too much, if you're being logical, at least. No, I he's done everything he's, he's uh, you know, was sold to be. And that's something that I think is a big, a big thing that, you know, a, a number one overall pick in the NHL isn't necessarily a guarantee to pan out. Um, and right now, you know, Toronto's hoping that Austin Matthews is that guy. Right. Uh, Edmonton's hoping that Con- Connor McDavid is that guy. But neither of these guys have necessarily cemented their uh, place in hockey history as number one overall picks that have actually lived up to it. Um, Got to give them some time, but yeah. Yeah. Well, no, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. But I mean, yeah. it's it's something to be said that, you know, Sidney Crosby has done that. Um, so I guess, you know, so in, in the game where he got his 1,000th point, right. um, there was a couple of issues also that night, two of those being defensemen falling. Uh, one was Justin Schultz, who's out for, uh, they believe, a short period of time with a uh, concussion. Right. And the second guy was Ole Mata, who already had surgery, and he's out four to six weeks, so we might him, have him for about a week before we enter <laughs> in the playoffs. Um, so I guess my question here, and this is the second point of tonight, but where do the Penguins go? I mean, the trade deadline's coming up. 
Um, there's a there's a couple people. Kyle Quincy from the New Jersey Devils has been uh, you know someone who's been flirted with. Mark Stone who just got traded today and not to the Penguins <laughs> um, was someone that was also discussed. So do you see uh, do you see like the Penguins going out and try to get a defenseman? Do you see them trying to get a forward? Um, do you see any places where you know the trade deadline that's coming up here is something that they might partake in? And it's weird to hear if you listen to Sports Talk Radio in Pittsburgh today, as I did. Got to sniff out the competition. But you hear a lot talking about how the Penguins almost need that kick in the pants. They need that extra jump start. They're comparing this trade deadline to maybe what it was in 92. The Penguins able to go back-to-back because they made controversial, very difficult splash moves at that deadline involving Mark Recchi, etc. in order to eventually win that second cup. I don't know if I see a big splash move like, say, a Shane Doan or somebody of a, a veteran name like that. But based on Jim Rutherford... Based on even the concern some fans had when he came in there, came in here because he was too willing to part with the future to go ahead and win now, he's proven that to be a successful recipe with the Penguins. He's already done it and won a Stanley Cup. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and makes a move again. I'm sure some move will be made. The issue is they have so much depth. A lot of other teams are going are gonna to probably say to themselves they had the Penguins roster. I wouldn't really need to mess with this. But they do kind of feel like they're lagging a little bit. And... It only would be moves that are needed to be made because of the injuries, Olimata in particular. And it, you talk about a number one overall pick that has been everything he could be in Sidney Crosby. Olimata is another guy that, not necessarily number one overall pick, but had a lot of hype coming into his Penguins career. His first year, he was compared to the next Nicholas Lindstrom. I saw, I heard that. Yeah. And he's not been able to stay on the ice enough. What did Lindstrom do? He was incredibly consistent, maybe the most consistent hockey player to ever live. That's been the opposite of Olimata. There's been flashes when he's on the ice, but he's not been on the ice enough consistently that it does make you have some pause that even if he's going to come back before the playoffs, as you mentioned, is there is there a concern that he's not going to be the guy you point to for a postseason run and that maybe you'd rather have a veteran, a Kyle Quincy, who's been through the war of a postseason before than Olimata, who continuously gets hurt, even though he's been on a cup team. Yeah, I mean, Olimata is one of those guys where when he first came in uh, to the NHL, I mean, the biggest thing that he brought to the team was the offensive touch. He scored goals for whatever reason. Um, And I think moving forward into his career, that's for some reason petered out. Um, you know, he's only, I'm looking here, he's got seven points this season, but he's a plus 17. Sometimes the plus minus can be a, you know, kind of an errant factor yeah. where you know, he's on the penguins too. It's yeah. going to help him out. Well, there's not too many guys that are not right, you know, right, of right. some of, right. you know, and I think the situations that he's, he's playing, if he's playing with Chris Letang or if he's, you know, depending on who he's playing with, that can have a big effect. Um, him being out, I don't know. This it's a, it's a big deal, but also having you know Steve Oleski in your starting lineup is doesn't necessarily ring of you know uh, you know back to back cup champion. So um, having someone like Kyle Quincy could be a big uh, big help. But you know, I guess what you'd have to give up to get him, you know, yeah. what would that be? They're not going to be going for Mark Andre Fleury. That wouldn't be on the table with Corey Schneider. Right. Correct. And also, I would figure that if I was general manager of the Penguins, and I'm not Gene Rutherford, I have not won a Stanley Cup, and I'm not led Carolina even to a Cup final, but it does almost feel like the Penguins have the depth now. The reason why they were able to win a Stanley Cup last year after so many years of faltering in the playoffs was the emergence and the addition of a guy like Phil Kessel and the entire depth of the team, going all the way down to Connor Sheary, etc. Young players stepping up that you maybe didn't expect coming into the year, that you made one through four click on all cylinders, and your best line in the postseason was your third line. 
And you got rid of David Perron. Right, and you're able to get some dead weight off there, but you're able to make your team deeper. I wouldn't figure that they would need to tweak too much with a forward or worry about offensive touch because even guys who are maybe having off years in the postseason, they could jumpstart and get right back to how they normally are. It would probably be defensively to be the issue for the team if they don't go back-to-back, if not maybe in net, but that's a whole other can of worms. But it, it doesn't hurt ever to go get an extra defenseman, even if you only add a stay-at-home defenseman or you probably would want to add an offensive touch defenseman. But adding bolstering the defense, it's hard for that to be a bad thing for a good team in a postseason because if you add somebody defensively who ends up not working out at all and being horribly horrible, ideally you can mask them with somebody else or it's not going to be the end of the world because you might be able to outscore teams. They benefit off that last year. They would. I, I Honestly, I think one of the biggest things from last year that they're missing and they haven't replaced, you know, as the injuries have popped up, it's something that has uh, stood out more and more as, as a as a big point is that they're missing Ben Lovejoy in some in some capacity. We're, you know, they're missing a right-handed stay-at-home defenseman. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, I, I'm not quite sure. You know, the Penn's trade rumors have started. They, they, they pick up, they die off. Matt Duchene was, you know, last, last week that, that everyone was talking about him. He was the guy that we're going to go get. And all of a sudden this week everyone's kind of pulling it back and they're like, okay, well, we have two defensemen that go out. We realize – we have plenty of offensive talent. You know, if if one guy on offense goes out, Jake Gensel comes up and he's he's producing just as they'd want him to produce. Um, there's a lot of offensive talent that we have in Wilkes-Barre, whereas the defensive talent talent is Derek Pouliot. And I think that you know, the, the, pretty much for the most part, the coaches have given up on Derek Pouliot. Yeah. Um, so maybe they might. The use fans it. have certainly. Yeah, I think pretty much every. I mean, <laughs> he, and he's another one of those guys. You know, his first year he looked really great on the ice, and I think the fans and the coaches felt really good about him. And then for whatever reason, I think maybe something happened on defensive coaching that Ole Mata stepped back, Derek Pouliot stepped back, a lot of the, the development players stepped back, and then the guys that you know came out of Wilkes-Barre, like your Brian Dumoulin yeah. and whatnot, did very well. So um, maybe there's something to be said about that. I can't. It could even be. Maybe the pressure was on Pouliot and Mata too much. I mean, you don't know. They they might be hearing people bringing up Lindstrom and things like that. And I even remember a while that when Ole Mata, I mean, when when Pouliot kind of soured, Ole Mata was the guy where people said, "Well, okay, I'm not worried about Pouliot souring on him because now Ole Mata is going to be the this future Hall of Famer." And then the injuries have maybe been his issue. But I I also think what people don't realize the Yenzers at least that the Pittsburgh Penguin franchise. All the way from the team with Sidney Crosby and company to Jim Rutherford, even Mary Lemieux up top. They're smarter than people sometimes give them credit. And they know in their heart of hearts, Lemieux dealt with this in his career. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup every single season. While you have to go for it and you want to go all in and some pirate fans in the same city are upset because the team never really goes for it. And I understand that criticism. But when you're the defending champion, it's a little bit different than when you're trying to get to that level where... A Matt Duchesne would be wonderful. That'd be great to have him revitalize himself, continue an all-star career, playing with the with these fellow all-stars and Hall of Famers. That would be tremendous. To have your war, to have your fourth or fifth best player be him would just be ridiculous, almost unfair, really. Even Shane Doan might be able to have one last cup run and maybe do more than what Jerome McGinley did here, maybe handle that better. It's almost like you get a second chance at Jerome McGinley a couple years ago if you bring in Shane Doan. But what you have to give up for these guys might be too much just for pure name recognition alone. And the I'm sure Jim Rutherford's going to think to himself, look, we're very, very good now. 
there are not that many elite teams in the NHL or Eastern Conference. There's the Capitals, who always seemingly mess up in the playoffs somehow or another, even when they're picked. They're... Their last year, there was Tampa, who they eventually dealt with, but Stamkos had the injury. There, There's Columbus coming up there, but, you know, are you really scared of them? The Rangers have Lundqvist, who's getting back going, but are you terrified of them? There's nobody in the conference, if not the league, the Penguins should be worrying about or scared of in a playoff series. So they're not going to give up the entire future for one more cup run, knowing that's going to hamper the next three or four, five years. We talked about this off air when we had a little pregame session uh, down at the uh, the brew area down there, the bar down at the Clark building, that this Penguin team has realistically, what, two, three, maybe four more years at the most in the prime dominant years of Crosby and Malkin. You want to try to snag the cups then, but you also have to realize you don't want to, you don't want to be completely horrendous after them, which probably is going to happen. It's a it's a tight wire to walk. You don't want to give up too much, but you got to feel like they're still going to contend now even if they do nothing. They could win the cup now with this team and it wouldn't surprise me. Well, I mean, honestly, I think that you know, we have a we have a window here and and Pittsburgh kind of and, and the ownership for the Penguins have always understood this. It's okay to be a good team and then once your cup window's gone, once you trade right. your Yarmer Yager, right. it's time to just tank. And get a couple first round, you know, first <laughs> overall picks, and you get that's when you get your Sidney Crosby, your Evgeny Malkin, your Mark Andre Fleury, your Brooks Orpik. That's when you build that team back up. Um, I think that they they realize they're going to go all in in these next few years because there's going to be some painful years as as these guys come right, down. Right. Um, I, I think that you know the Penguins realize that at with the that tra- mentality that are you endorsing a Matt Duchesne move or a Shane Doan move or no. those moves because no, he'd be too top heavy. I think no one would know. The problem we had when Aginla came in, no one knew who to give the puck to. Um, you they also to, put him on the wrong side of the ice. That Yeah, that hurts too. No, I, I honestly think that if you put too many offensive players on the yeah. same team, um, you might kind of undo yourself. Um, they need to keep the money on both sides of the puck, so you want to have some defensive players. I just don't know. Do they want to overpay for a defensive player? And I think that it would be very, very advantageous if the Blues somehow continue to tank um, and do poorly under Yo, which actually hasn't happened. But if that continues to happen um, and they lose and lose and lose over the next few games, the next few days, it's all on goaltending. Yeah. And Shattenkirk's talks continue to not happen. Maybe some sort of flurry Shattenkirk move that you know would be totally half-baked could come through. I think that's the only thing that really would be a big-time boost for the Penguins would be a Duchesne level but actually have a, a big-time benefit to them because you'd bring in a right-handed defenseman who can score. He could be stay-at-home. And would be he'd be a top two defenseman, and especially when you have Schultz, who's, a, who's clearly a top two defenseman from the st- scoring perspective. His plus minus is in the thirties. When he comes back, you have Chris Letang, you have Trevor Daly. I, I think our defensive unit will be solidified by a move that would bring in someone like that. I don't know that they will. Maybe they stand stand pat with what they've got because they're afraid to give anything up. But I think if there's a move to be made out there, I can see Jim Rutherford biting on it and saying, okay. If we if there's ever been a chance in the last 20 years and it's only been done one time to do a back to back, we've got the chance. There's no powerhouses. The West seems like it's pretty. It's much, wide open. This yeah. is the year to grab the bull by the horns per se. So he very well could do that, and he has he has shown in his whole career, even before Pittsburgh, that he is willing to make risky moves to go ahead and win now, put the chips to to the middle of the table. He's willing to do that, and I, I guess though my my only point would be that if the Penguins don't go and make a splash, and they only add a stay-at-home defenseman and help bolster that defense, 
I don't, I don't think the sky is falling. The world's not going to come to an end. People are going to complain on Twitter. They're going to moan and complain. But this is a defending cup champion in a wide-open conference. The Capitals could easily tank again in the playoffs. It, it, it's been what they do, despite having a future Hall of Famer in Ovechkin. So besides them, are you scared of anybody? And the East is wide open. The NHL is wide open. Again, it's ripe for the taking. But as we stand now, they might be the best team in a postseason series because of Crosby, because of Malkin, because of Kessel, because of the depth of that team, because of even the goaltending options. So I don't think the world comes to an end if there's nobody else added with a splash. A stay-at-home defenseman, though, absolutely. I'd love to get a Kyle Quincy, but depending on what that that price would be. Right. No, I mean, honestly, I think that the only thing that Penguins have to worry about <laughs> right now is not necessarily can they beat the Capitals – whoever the Capitals are today, but can they beat the Capitals, whoever the Capitals are, March 1st? And we don't even know because the Capitals, March 1st of the past six, seven, eight years are usually different than the Capitals are December 1st or February 1st. So you don't know. Last year seemed to be the year for the Capitals where everything was was their, their pavement and was a path for them, and the Penguins were able to take a wide-open door and go to the Cup Final and then win another Stanley Cup. Do the Capitals finally have it be this year now, their year? Well, what if the – I mean, do the Capitals – if the Capitals make a big splash play at the trade deadline, does that yeah. – you know, does that make a big impact to the Penguins? And I think that that's the question in the minds of a lot of the Penguins fans. It's a question probably in the minds of the Penguins front office is <laughs> – Sometimes, you know, these strikes are preemptive. They're like, well, we need to make a move just in case if this team that we're competitive with now comes up to our level, do we want to split that? I don't think that the Capitals are necessarily in their mind because they're probably in the same vein as, you know, how the Patriots probably think about the Steelers. It's probably very similar to that, yeah. So we'll see how that uh, turns out. But I guess the last point, and as we're kind of coasting in here to the last part of the segment, um, Obviously, coming up here on Saturday, the Penguins have the Stadium Series game. This is the third one that they've been involved with, the second in Heinz Field. They're playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, They've been doing a big push for ticket sales recently (laughs) um, because there's still a lot of tickets available. Um, Is this – I mean, and I know it's a week ahead of time or less than a week ahead of time, close to. The weather reports are out. The ticket sales are clearly low. I mean, can we preemptively call this dead on arrival? Is this – I could preemptively call a lot of these outdoor games dead on arrival, and the NHL could be kind of blowing their load a little bit in terms of how many how many outdoor games there are. There are so many outdoor games throughout an NHL season. There's the Winter Classic. There's five or six other outdoor games. A lot of them are on ridiculous time slots, a Friday night at 9 p.m. on the East Coast. Nobody's going to tune in to watch that. You figure Saturday night, NBC Sports – would be a primetime slot, but still people might not watch as much as you would think because it's the weekend. You have a lot of things involved here. Not only the weather, but when you have a franchise, if you look at these outdoor games, the Red Wings, the Penguins, the Rangers, they're hogging them. I mean, they're in... All of those franchises have been in at least two now, if not three. The Rangers were in two in one year a couple years ago. So maybe those those fan bases have already been to some of them. Maybe they're losing its luster a little bit for those fan bases. The weather could be a factor. It's supposed to be a balmy February day. Not the best for ice hockey outdoors in Pittsburgh. I don't know if that's going to affect things or not. Also, the Flyer rivalry, wow, it is still one. And there's still hatred towards the Flyers. That's almost shifted a little bit to a big brother, little brother scenario because the Flyers aren't as competitive right now. They don't have the star power the Penguins have. 
Penguin fans seemingly don't really feel threatened by them. They don't care about them. If they're not worried they're going to win a championship anytime soon. It's more venom from the Flyers at Pittsburgh, which may hurt ticket sales here. And then really the only other thing could be, and this is a criticism that I've seen delivered by some media members in, in this area, that the only downside of winning and building a dynasty and winning a championship and having Hall of Famers and star players the Atlanta Braves suffered this in the 90s in baseball. Your fans seemingly don't care about the regular season as much because they want to go towards the playoffs. They feel like they're going to be in the playoffs off of a pure birthright. And then they want to go have a deep playoff run and win another Stanley Cup. And when you have Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, they pretty much in a wide open conference are guaranteed a playoff berth coming into the year. There was no way they weren't going to at least get a top eight seed. So it makes the fans a little disinterested in a mid-February game when you know you're looking at a one or a two, three seed at the worst, a postseason, and then you feel like you can match up with all those teams in postseason series. So it loses a little bit of steam for the regular season when you put so much emphasis on championships now and into the playoffs. That, I mean, obviously, I mean, the ticket sales, I think, have to be throttled a little bit just based on the fact that the ticket prices are, are pretty high. I mean, I you know, when you're looking at right. the cheapest ticket is $90 in the nosebleeds of the north end of Heinz Field. That has to have some effect on it. Um, people are looking at the weather reports. People were, people knew before there was any weather reports because it was more than 10 days out or how many days out. People were just saying, you know, Pittsburgh has volatile weather. So I'm not going to spend, you know, $750 for me and two other people to go to a game in the, in the lower section of Heinz Field, knowing that we're already going to be, you know, further away than the worst seats in, in uh, you know, PPG Paints Arena. And who knows what the weather's going to be in Pittsburgh because it's Pittsburgh. Maybe word of mouth also spread that while the outdoor games are cool for an atmosphere perspective and even on TV and it's cool to play at historic ballparks like Wrigley and Fenway and I guess Heinz Field, that... It's not the best event to go to, to be there, unless you really have a prime seat for hundreds of dollars right there at, say, the 50-yard line, which maybe could be an okay seat, but it's still hockey at a football stadium. If you're way up there in the top of the of, of the stadium, what are you really seeing without binoculars? Nothing. So do you want to shell out 100 or so dollars to not see the game? It actually might be a better game for you as a fan at home on your couch or some fans might be going to the to the parking lot, tailgating, soaking up the atmosphere, and then going to a bar and watching it on TV or going home, rather than going into that stadium, dealing with the cold weather they thought might have occurred, dealing with an opponent they don't really care about anymore because they're not as good as they used to be, feeling like the team is guaranteed a playoff berth, so they're not worried about the game and losing the two points, and it's watching hockey at a football stadium. That- you just can't see that much of it. That, I mean, I, honestly, I think that's the worst part. And I think if there was a little bit more cachet to it, if they did it less. Um, yeah, they, they've, they've, they've killed it a little bit. Or, or like we brought up too, and many people have Penguins Flyers at Beaver Stadium, Penn State. That would have been cool. That would have had more prestige when the Red Wings, they've been in it so many times and their fans don't care about the regular season either. But they set a record for attendance and they normally have problems at, at Joe Louis Arena at the big house because that was just a cool, unique, historic thing. And when you don't that get ever that happen? at Heinz Field. No. And, but the other thing is I think that like if they would have done it at Beaver <clears> Stadium, <throat> there's a huge hockey uh, crowd that has developed around the Penn State hockey that has kind of just spawned. I've seen last... that, yes. It's surprising to me, but yes. And so I think that there's people in Pittsburgh that would just love to see a hockey game there just because they want to say that they were – I mean, I think that that would have had a big uh, – you know, 
a big play for NA, the NHL. But obviously, you know, I guess they said Penn State, you know, wouldn't come to come to play with that. Um, here they are at Heinz Field again, and I think that um, anyone that wanted the cachet doing that the first time was kind of bit by that. And that was all, that was kind of a painful game for Penguin fans. I don't know if you remember, but that was the David Steckel hit on Sidney Crosby, right? And that was the concussion that kind of. Now, you know, when they hear Justin Schultz has a concussion, all the fan base is like, no, you know, because we we have this, you know, this feeling that concussions are much, I mean, obviously they are bad, but I mean, not everyone's concussions gets to Sidney Crosby's level. Um, so I think that there's a, there's a lot of like pain, you know, remembering, um, you know, outdoor games with Sidney Crosby, and I mean, unless you remember the first one. Yeah, so we're not really giving a good endorsement of the outdoor game right now, stadium series, so no. go if you want. We, we do need those tickets sold, but. I, I'm not going to lie and say I recommend it. I guess no. I mean, I'll, <laughs> honestly, uh, so I guess I guess the last part of this the show um, is what I wanted to ask a question to you and see what your perspective is on it. The okay. last show, a lot okay into it great detail, right. but here we are in the just about the last week where you know there's a potential that Mark Andre Fleury makes no more starts in Pittsburgh. Right? Is there any veracity to that, or do you think they carry him out to the end of the season? Well, I really do enjoy the vocab terms, by the way. Ver- veracity is nice. Um, the best thing for the Penguins as a hockey team would be carrying him out the rest of the season because neither Murray or Flurry has solidified themselves as a number one premier goaltender this year. It's been a roller coaster ride for both of them. Flurry has the career pedigree. I know some Penguin fans hate him for many of those years for playoff series of the past, but he's also helped the team, and even including last year, carry through a regular season before. They got a new coach, and Mike Sullivan came over. He was carrying him to even be a contender at that point. So he'd done a lot for the franchise over the years. Matt Murray being young, being the young gun in the postseason, maybe he got a bit overrated early on, and maybe the expectations were a little too high. But he's also showed flashes of brilliance even this year, even a few days ago. I was just scrolling on Twitter. I couldn't actually watch the game. And I was seeing people tweeting, Marc-Andre Fleury, MAF, oh my God, what a save. And then I scroll down, it's 20 minutes later, what a save, Murray. Oh my God, Murray. It's like, they're, they're changing amazing saves in the same game. Not even just every other game, but they're both having great times in the same game. But if I had to predict, honestly, if I had to predict, if I had to put money down right now, I would actually think they're probably going to carry him through the rest of the season. It, it, it would be such a difficult move to make. It would be a splash move. You have to make sure you get enough value for him. You have to find a team like St. Louis or somebody like that that you could make some deal. Maybe even a three-team deal would be necessary because you need somebody that's going to take a goaltender that he can play and start. And it'll be a contender that he'll want to go to. A lot to do there. They're better off to have both of them and have that security blanket for the future. Murray is clearly the guy. But that type of deal, even similar to Rick Nash with the Rangers, I have a Ranger fan that's talking about is Nash going to be down at some point. Those type of deals are easier to do usually in the offseason than in the trade deadline. Penguin fans do remember the Marion Hosa deal. That was a major all-star future Hall of Famer moved at the deadline. They got him, but those are few and far to come by. They're hard to come by. Sometimes you can get a veteran later in his career, but if I had to bet money, I would say they carry Flurry the rest of the way. We deal with this drama the rest of the way. They both start. They both have decent moments. Murray's still the 1A to 1B when they're both healthy. And then at the end of the, the season, even though you'd love to have both of them beyond that for a hockey move, it won't happen. Yeah. it's not going to happen because Flurry clearly wants to play. He can still give you value. There's not 30-some goaltenders better than him in the National Hockey League to start. There are just not. He's young enough, and he's going to get a chance somewhere probably on a contender, 
and maybe eventually have a, have a resume that's going to argue for the Hall of Fame someday and revitalize this argument and the, the polarizing effect of Flurry and whether or even not some of his own fans will probably argue against him for the Hall of Fame, which you almost never see. But it'll be interesting, to say the least. But I, I just can't see now how that would happen unless there is some backdoor deal being worked that even media that knows everything in this city are not aware of or else they're keeping close to the vest and that's easily a possibility. But in terms of winning a Stanley Cup again back-to-back, the best interest of the hockey team on the ice is keeping Marc-Andre Fleury the rest of this year. I, I I totally agree with that, but we'll see. I guess we'll see what happens this week. It should be an interesting week uh, in trades. Um, but that's all that we have uh, this week uh, for Hockey Night tonight. Uh, thank you again for co-hosting. Obviously, no problem. It was asinine, I'm sure. No, it was great. It was great <laughs> hockey talk. Uh, this is Mike Osti. You can follow him on Twitter. At MikeOsti11. Uh, and I am uh, the host again, uh, Matt Steiner. You can follow me at msteiner90. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.